the perfect old-fashioned old style from a can and the stomach-turning origin of Rotgut. This week, we're visiting speakeasies. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Each week, we're in a different place, sampling that city's unique cuisine. And this week, it's Chicago for a shot and a beer, cocktails, and Prohibition-era speakeasies. Longtime listeners might remember me talking about Chicago on past episodes. Foodie and Chicago radio icon Lynn Bramer talked about high-end cuisine in the Windy City on episode 111. Jonathan Porter from Chicago Pizza Tours talked about pizza and some of his other fave spots on episodes 65 and 72. And all three of those episodes are good fun, and I've got links for them in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash DED149. My guest this week is Jonathan Notek. He is the co-founder of Chicago Prohibition Tours. His company takes guests on walking and bus tours in the Windy City to sample cocktails in some of the most infamous speakeasies. Jonathan and I talk about the history of Prohibition and I learn about how it was rooted in an anti-immigrant political movement. We also talk about the liquor that was produced during the time, including some that was poisoned by the government in order to deter drinkers. Plus, Jonathan shares some of his favorite spots in Chicago, whether that's for an upscale cocktail or for a shot in a beer. And just for fun, Jonathan takes a shot at his friends up north in Wisconsin. But first, if you like the show, do me a favor and give us a five-star review on your podcast app. I really appreciate it. And thanks in advance. Destination Eat Drink. Jonathan, thank you so much for being on Destination Eat Drink today. It's a pleasure to get to talk to you about a Chicago Prohibition Tour, cocktails, and Chicago history. You know, speakeasies have gotten so popular, I'd almost say that they've become a fad. How do you personally, as the guy behind Chicago Prohibition Tour, how do you define a speakeasy? Well, first of all, uh, let me say that it's a pleasure uh, to be here and uh, to talk to you. Um, and I would agree with you that the current climate has become in many ways a fad. Uh, but the way I would define speakeasy is actually much uh, simpler. Uh, and some places get it right as far as the new places. Some places don't. Speakeasy simply means an illegal place to get booze. That's mm-hmm. all it means. You know, when when people think speakeasy... They often think what Hollywood puts into their head, which is the super secret room down the super secret hallway through the super secret door, third alley on the left, you know, um, and, and a lot of that is just is just purely overblown. Um, it uh, it really operated much more simply than that. Um, and, and really, uh, you know, to be perfectly honest, speakeasy is it's just a bar. It's just a bar that you can. I mean, honest to God, you know, uh, it's not more complicated than that. Maybe they had the windows boarded up out front or, or, you know, maybe you did enter through the alley, um, you know, through the back door. But, you know, honestly, outside of that, it's, it's really not that much more complicated. So the special knock, the secret password, this is all an invention of Hollywood? 
Well, no, I, I, I wouldn't go quite that far. I'm sure there was some of that. I'm sure there was the secret knock or the password or, you know, Big Jim sent me or, or, or something <laughs> along those lines. Um, and I'm sure some places did have that. You know, but the reality is, is that especially in the big cities, prohibition was largely considered a joke. Um, the the law enforcement, the powers that be, uh, more often than not, were on the take, you know, by these gangsters or or just neighborhood people, or they were neighborhood people themselves, you know. And you're also, what's a wrench, and this is one of the things we talk about on the tour, as far as law enforcement goes, especially in Chicago, you're talking about a largely Irish Catholic police force. Um, and the Irish, uh, viewed prohibition, not only as an attack on their culture, but as an attack on their religion as well. And, and that's one of the things that gets overlooked about prohibition. You know, once you get really into it, you realize that in many ways it was a largely anti-immigrant and anti-Catholic movement. Um, you know, so for people who felt targeted, they have no interest in trying to make this thing work. You know, I mean, there were certainly some straight arrows, uh, but, uh, you know, for the most part, it's just, it, it was a, it was a, it was a disaster from the beginning. And there were so many loopholes to, to get past it that, you know, we, we romanticize it and we want to make it this thing kind of like a high school party, right? Where you're not supposed to know about it and it's supposed to be quiet. And, but like a high school party, they tend to get found out real quick. Someone put it out on Twitter and <laughs> unless the neighborhood was complaining about it, or you had um, an alderman who had a specific beef with someone or something along those lines. You know, these places, particularly if they're run by some of the big names, are, are just not going to get shut down. And because of that, they're not as secretive. But there's also this, the one big thing that I, I do want to hit on here is the myth that all alcohol goes away or that all alcohol is illegal. And that's just simply not the case. The law specifically said any intoxicating liquor. Now, that means up to a certain percent of alcohol. A lot of medicines were alcohol based back then. So there was a lot of medicinal alcohol out there. Uh, but also, and, and much more interestingly, the law never said at any point was it illegal to own or consume alcohol. So if you had it pre-prohibition, enjoy it until it runs out. If you have this massive wine cellar or whiskey collection, um, you know, have parties. They can all enjoy it. And then the problem there becomes, you know, let's say someone says, oh, there's a speakeasy running here or there's, uh, you know, so-and-so is having a party. Well, when the cops show up, how do they prove that you didn't have that alcohol pre, you know, uh, January 17th of 1920? It's almost impossible. There's just so many loopholes that the reality is, is that it was out there. Everyone knew it was there. There were various versions of what we would think of as a speakeasy. And it just wasn't as secretive as, as people want to pretend that it was. I'd like to go back to something that you talked about that is just absolutely mind-blowing to me, and that is the fact that these prohibition laws in some ways were targeting immigrants. Now, we in the United States, we have this long history of laws that have targeted immigrants, but I never thought for a moment that prohibition was a law. I thought it was a, 
uh, factor of teetotalers coming in um, and saying, you know what, here's the problems that we have with society that are related to alcohol. Let's get rid of it 100%. Now that you're saying this, it, a light is going off in my in my head. All right, we're in the early 1900s. There are, in Chicago, there are lots of Irish immigrants, Catholic, and there are lots of Italian immigrants, also Catholic. So I can see how this would be something that they would see as a personal affront to their culture and their religion. You talked a little bit about the Irish, uh, the Irish police. Um, do you have any insight on how this affected the Italian community? Well, so, you know, uh, the Italians had it almost, I, I don't want to say almost, in fact, they did have it even worse because the, the problem that the Italians had as well is they were not native English speakers. So the Irish, A, had largely been coming here, uh, you know, since the, the, the potato famine of the, the mid-1800s, mid-19th century, um, when they started to flood into the United States. And so they had almost already established themselves, you know, by the time Prohibition comes along, the Irish are deep into politics. Um, they're, as we talked about, they're, you know, largely into police forces. Um, they're still unwelcome in many circles. And for an, uh, an unestablished Irishman, it's still hard to get a job. But what they did have was the ability to speak English. Yeah, it came with a, what the Americans at the time would consider a funny accent or, or dialect, but, um, the Italians didn't. The Italians show up and, you know, I, I don't, you know, we, we, we can get into this. I, I want to tread lightly here, but the Italians also have, you know, you're talking about laws that were anti-immigrant, you know, and, and, and that's for a lot of reasons. And some of it is racism. So the other problem the Italians have is darker skin in a lot of cases. A lot of them are coming from Sicily and Southern Italy. You're not getting fairer skinned Italians coming from Milan and places like this. Correct. You know, so you, you, you have a, a this sort of threefold problem here for the Italians. One is they're largely Catholics. Two, they are non-English speaking. Um, and three, they have this darker skin tone, you know, so there's all these things. There's, there's, there's the anti-religion, there's the pure racism of it. Um, you know, and then not speaking the language when they come over even harder for them. So, you know, at least in Chicago, what a lot of Italians end up in Chicago for is is the rail um, industry. Um, Chicago becomes sort of the crossroads of America for rail and roads and everything else. Um, and there's jobs to be had. And so uh, there's a, a an Italian company that actually ends up, I forget, this is a little outside of my realm, but it, it, it's... I, I don't remember if they work specifically with the railroads or it's their own railroad construction. Long story short, there's jobs to be had for Italians in Chicago. I read an article on your website, and I don't think you wrote this one. I think one of your other tour guides wrote it. But Amy Williams was writing a blog for us uh, for some time who was fantastic. And I, we, now that we're back up and running, we can't wait to rehire her, but I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Amy Williams wrote this article and she said something that absolutely stuck out to me was that in the 20s, when, and I'm using air quotes that you can't see here, when sure. liquor was illegal, um, they said that some folks were making illegal booze by taking industrial alcohol and flavoring it with different things, including, she said in this article, dead rats. Yeah. Is, is this true? <laughs> Did this actually happen? 
Well, I, so here's what I would say to that. I, I don't know that the dead rat was put in there specifically for the flavoring <laughs> as, as, as much as it would have been. So they're, they're not like getting a vintage of dead rat. It just happened right. to fall into the vat. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, uh, th- th- here's, here's the thing is when you're using industrial out. So just to break it down really quickly, um, the three big ones during prohibition, as far as alcohol went, were beer, whiskey, and gin. Now, gin becomes widely popular because it's relatively easy to produce. All you need is a base alcohol, um, and then you flavor it, as you just said, with botanicals, whatever. Um, but if you're using industrial alcohol or, 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 you know, I mean, some people were using, my God, what basically was paint thinner or they're using methanol as their base and, you know, just, just really, low quality things that are that are going to hurt you toxic really incredibly which incidentally uh i'm going to throw a fun fact at you and i'm going to ask you a question if you don't mind sure um roll with me it's going to sound crazy but just roll with me on this um should you drink antifreeze uh, of course not okay why it's meant for <laughs> it's meant for industrial uses not human consumption well right it'll kill you right yeah would you be surprised to hear that up until and then into prohibition, not only was antifreeze perfectly safe to drink at certain quantities, a lot of people did it. And they actually put in the stuff that poisons you to stop people from drinking it as an alternative to alcohol. Purposely poisoning the alcohol to prevent people from doing it. This this smacks of Paraquat in the 1970s when they were spraying uh, toxic substances on marijuana crops in Mexico to stop people from smoking it. Correct. And I'm, I'm going to guess in both cases, it didn't, didn't work. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. I mean, because here's, and, and this is the joke I make on the tour, for, you know, and, and, and one of the things is too, is that the government would actually purposely poison batches of alcohol to put it out there, as you pointed out, to you know, intentionally make people sick with the idea that, well, they'll never do that again. Well, I don't know about you, but I have certainly spent more than a few mornings praying to the porcelain God in my bathroom, Um, you know, and it's never stopped me. I mean, the reality is, is no matter how safe alcohol is, it's still inherently toxic to the human body. And, and if you drink enough of it, you're going to vomit, no matter how good or bad it is. And that's the thing is that people don't care. They want to relax. They want the good feeling. It's the reason why we all know what cigarettes do to people and people still smoke. You know, it's just it's it's a relief for stress and anxiety and all these things. And it doesn't matter how 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 bad it is. If it can provide you that relief, people are going to do it. Let's talk about modern cocktails and modern cocktail bars. Um, what are some of your favorite cocktails to enjoy in Chicago? And are there specific places you like to go? Yes and yes. Uh, the, <laughs> so my, I am, I am an, uh, an old-fashioned uh, snob, quite frankly. I, I never walk in to any bar and assume that an old fashioned is going to be done correctly. More importantly, I am not because I've worked as a bartender. And in fact, during the pandemic here have been working as a bartender while we couldn't run our tours, but I'm never the guy that's going to walk up to a bar and demand that my drink be made a certain way. Um, I just, I don't know. I feel very pretentious about that despite being a snob, but I will watch the bartender make it 
and see what they're doing and how they're doing it. And I will know within 10 seconds if I'm going to enjoy this old fashioned or not. What makes a good old fashioned, Jonathan? Well, an old fashioned. So the reason that it's called the old fashioned, by the way, and, and there is some suggestion that the name old fashioned uh, came from Chicago um, or that it was named in Chicago. I don't know that that is true, um, but then it literally is the base cocktail. So if you go to um, I Jerry Thomas, I believe is his name. I'm, I'm blanking on him at the moment, but he's sort of the forefather of the American cocktail movement. Uh, he wrote um, what was called the Bon Viviance Companion. It was a, a cocktail instructional book. And really all you need for a cocktail is spirit, um, sugar, bitters, and that's it. And that at its essence is what an old fashioned is. And that's all it should be. The only extra thing is whatever water melts from the ice that you're mixing it in or that it's sitting in. So a true old fashioned should be two ounces of bourbon. It should be two dashes of Angostura bitters and then whatever your sugar source is, whether it be just, you know, a sugar packet or a sugar cube that you've muddled with the, uh, the bitters or now, you know, it's, uh, most places use a simple syrup or a demerara syrup, which is what I prefer. It's a little bit richer, but that's all it should be. That's it. You know, and what you see in, and Wisconsin does a lot of this crap, but you see, um, <laughs> I love the cross border Illinois to Wisconsin rivalry. Good, good. Stuff. Oh God. It's yeah. I mean, so the, the, the funny thing is, is my great grandfather originally emigrated to Racine, Wisconsin, but, uh, and I have a lot of family in Wisconsin, but yeah, we, we do thoroughly enjoy uh, taking shots at each other. And I will die on the hill that a Wisconsin old fashioned is disgusting. It's an abomination. <laughs> it should not exist. What you see in that case is, especially in Wisconsin, they start with brandy. So you're immediately wrong. Um, and then they muddle an orange peel and they or an orange slice and they muddle a cherry in there and then they put bitters and sugar and then they put the brandy and then they top it with soda or sprite i mean it's just it's gross it's just gross um and you know and and it's a far departure from what you know true mixology in a true old fashion is um which is as i said just your your bourbon your bitters your sugar that's it and that's all it should be so that's my go-to. Uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll try, quite frankly, any kind of cocktail. I, I prefer bourbon cocktails, but if I see something that, you know, you know, a gin cocktail or a vodka cocktail or, you know, whatever else that, that sounds like it might be interesting, I'll certainly try it. Um, but old fashions are my go-to. And then as far as places, I mean, there's, you know, that, that's all about mood, quite frankly. I mean, do I want to hang out at a neighborhood? In fact, last night, uh, and, and to tell on myself a little bit, I got home about 45 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> I, I got I, more than that, about, about 10 minutes before I could not hear you, uh, originally on the Zoom. Uh, I had just walked through my front door. Um, and, and to, to be clear, we're recording this in the morning. So, correct. Yeah. Yeah. And now to be, I wasn't out all night. I did sleep, but I wasn't home. Um, and uh, so I was at a corner bar hanging out, actually drinking old fashions. Um, you know, but if I want to like a, a, a really high end cocktail experiences, there's places like Bordell, uh, which is 
the new modern speakeasy, which, and they actually do it really well, in fact, where they are uh, upstairs uh, above a, a different bar and they have a door that if you don't know where the entrance is, you will walk right past it. And I have several times gone in there and seen, you know, people waiting outside talking to someone and saying, hey, we're looking for Burdell, but we can't find it. You know, um, they actually do a really good job of it where it's not, I mean, it's just a door, you know, and it's right there. But if you don't realize that's the door, um, then you don't realize. And then you go upstairs and everything is really well done. It's all period. And, you know, you got these, you know, uh, uh, velvet lined, uh, couches and chairs and, and they have live burlesque and, uh, their cocktails are, are really high quality. Um, which is actually funny because that's the one thing that at a speakeasy, it probably wouldn't have been <laughs> right. Um, certainly during the period, but, um, you know, but it, it, it all depends on my mood, but yeah, there's, there's definitely a handful of places that I, that I frequent in the city um, for various reasons, whether it be the high end quality of the cocktails or just quite frankly, the camaraderie of, of the, the place itself. And that really speaks quite frankly to probe. I mean, again, I, I want to reiterate this idea that the false idea that speakeasies were, you know, you had one in a 10 mile square radius and, you had to be sick. No, I mean, they were, a lot of them were still neighborhood spots that people knew you could get a drink. It was hush hush and you didn't talk about it, but yeah, it really wasn't very much different than things are today other than just being illegal. And not being flavored with rats. Well, um, that's, <laughs> I wanted to say this, if I could really quickly, uh, uh the, the, I'm, I'm, Sure, you've heard the term rot gut whiskey. Yes. Okay. So to to talk to your flavoring things with rats, the term rot gut comes from uh I don't know if you were aware, I'm assuming you probably are aware of this, but for people that aren't before medical dissection and the study of the human body uh was widely accepted, it was really frowned upon. Um and it was sort of anti like the church didn't approve of it and it was thought of as, you know, uh, uh, gross and, and, you know, various other things as well. Um, so doctors to be able to practice either surgery or anatomy or whatever the case would have to find bodies from somewhere. And nine times out of 10, it would be grave robbers who would literally dig up corpses, um, you know, um, immediately after a funeral to then get to doctors. Well, how do you get a body from one place to another secretively? Well, there's a lot of play ways to do it. Uh, one of the biggest ways is maybe you jam that body into a vat of alcohol mm. because it's going to preserve it. Right. Now, what do you do with that alcohol when the body's gone? Oh, well, my you can God. Yeah, you can still make money off of it, so oh. you steal it. Jesus. <laughs> and that is where the term rot gut whiskey comes from because – in those cases, it was literally in the rotting guts of a human being. So are those my choices, Jonathan? Either uh, rat-flavored alcohol or rot gut? Well, <laughs> I'm glad I live in the 2020s, I guess. Yeah, during Prohibition, it, it depends on how much money you had and where you were able to go. But yeah, those might have been your choices. So let's go to the other end of the spectrum. You talked about kind of a high-class cocktail bar. What about, uh, give me a good dive bar. I love going to a good dive bar and getting a, a can of beer 
you know? Yeah. So, I mean, my, one of my favorites, and I just, I do not go there often enough is I, I live down on the South side uh, in Chicago here, specifically in Hyde park. Um, and there is a place called the cove. The cove is just, I mean, it is an absolute dive. And um, it, up until three, three or three or four years, somewhere around there, the main bartender was a guy who had been bartending there for literally 50 years or longer. Awesome. He was 90 some years old. Um, you had to say everything to him twice because he could not hear you. Right. But nicest guy in the world. Everybody loved him. A mainstay. Um, but it's, it is absolutely a place to go and just, I'm, so I am speaking of dive bars and, 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 and dive booze. Um, and actually, I think it is high quality beer and it has won awards despite what people think about it. But I am an old style. So Chicago. I mean, I grew up in Chicagoland and that was what you drank was old style. Well, and that's what my grandfather drank. And, you know, when I started to, to drink beer myself, you know, I, I had these memories of my grandfather and, and, uh, you know, and, and so I, you do the thing of kind of wanting to be like the, the menu emulated growing up. And so I started drinking old style and, and also because it's very Chicago and I like that aspect as well, you know, they have old style in the bottle over here, which is almost impossible to find. No one carries it in the bottle. It's either can or some rare places have it on draft, but for the most part, it's, it's in the can. Well, they have it in the bottle and it just tastes different. I don't know why, but, um, and the, and I think it's like two bucks, <laughs> you know, by today's standards. I mean, that's a, I don't care what you're drinking. That's a steal, you know? So you go in there, you drop 20 bucks, have five, six beers, you know, enjoy your night for a little bit. And then leave. I mean, it's a just, you know, and it's college students, it's really diverse, you know, because, you know, I, if you grew up in Chicago, certainly you're familiar with the area that I'm talking about. Um, yeah, you're not too far from University of Chicago. And that's what it is. It's a lot of University of Chicago students, but it's also people from the neighborhood. So you've got these, you know, kids from all over the world, these brilliant, you know, soon to be doctors and scientists and whatever, drinking, you know, with the, the local, you know, population of union workers and, you know, and it's white and African-American and, and Hispanic. And, and it's just this great diverse dive where nobody looks at you sideways. You know, it's just, a, it's come in and enjoy yourself, relax, have fun. So um, that would be the one for sure. I love the sound of that place, Jonathan. And, you know, frankly, I don't think I've had an old style in probably 35 years. But, man, having an old style in that place sounds like a, sounds like a good time. It's the way to go. Absolutely. And, and it's not because I have anything against old style. It's just I haven't lived in, in the area in that many years. I, I still go back. Yeah, outside of the Chicagoland area and then also southern Wisconsin, you really, you really can't get it. In fact, there's a bar. I don't know if they still do it, um, but there's a bar in Los Angeles, and I, I believe it's called Rush Street. Oh, perfect. I could be wrong about that. but For folks who don't know, Rush Street is the area where there's lots of bars in Chicago. Right. And, and, and it is frequented by almost all Chicagoans. And I cannot remember if it was Tuesday or Thursday. I mean, this is, geez, this is almost 15 years ago at this point, but, um, I can't remember if it was, uh, Tuesdays or Thursdays, but they would run a special and it was two cans of old style and a shot of Jameson for $10. And <laughs> it would just be shoulder to shoulder expats from Chicago. 
just in there, just trying, you know, talking about the old neighborhoods that they came from and about, you know, cause you know, I don't know if you've ever lived in LA or spent a lot of time in LA, but my brother lives in LA. Oh, there you go. Everyone's from somewhere else. And they all say the same thing. If I could do what I do yes. back home, I would go back home, <laughs> but I can't do what I do back home. So I have to do it here. Yes. Um, and this, I, despite the fact that old style is not, and this is why I bring up the story, despite the fact that old style is not available in LA, this guy knew um, a trucker, a long haul trucker, and would pay the guy, give him money and say, when you run through Chicago or the area, here's a ton of money, buy me cases of old style. <laughs> and that's how the guy had old style is this trucker that would run through Chicago and then basically, honestly, almost bootleg it, because that's almost literally what it is, back to L.A. so this guy could serve Chicagoans on Tuesday or Thursday or whatever the hell it was. Jonathan, that might be the most Chicago story I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I got to tell my brother about this place if it's still around, because uh, he'll definitely want to check yeah, that out. Like I said, it was like 15 years ago. I don't know. I, I should contact. I'll have to get in touch with you. I should contact friends of mine that are still out there and ask if that's still a thing. Yeah. The only thing, the only thing that would have made that story more Chicago is if I would have done the accent through the whole thing and talked <laughs> like this. Perfect. You know, when I was growing up in Chicagoland in the 70s and early 80s, Chicago had this reputation as, you know, a, a shot in a beer kind of town. And you've kind of uh, gone around the edges of that a little bit. Do you think that stereotype still holds in Chicago? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, I think at its heart, that's exactly what it still is. Now, Chicago has also in many ways, been at the uh, the forefront of the craft cocktail movement. And Chicago in general, um, geez, has one of the best, um, you know, small microbrewery uh, um, cultures in, in the country. Uh, we have a lot of craft yeah, breweries yeah. that have popped up in the city. But yeah, at its heart, and, 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 and I think actually the craft brewery speaks to that, but its heart at its heart, it's still a working class, very Midwestern shot in a beer kind of place. And there are factions and people that have tried to get past that, um, you know, and, and make Chicago a more world class city, or at least thought of as a more world class city. And it is, you know, I mean, this it is Chicago in many ways is colloquial and very provincial. Um, but you know, in terms of the restaurant and bar industry is world class. I mean, some of the best restaurants in the world are here in Chicago. And in fact, um, what is it? The, the, uh, uh um, oh, I can't think of the name of the restaurant. It's Grant, uh, 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 Ashitz, oh, uh, opened it up. Shoot. And, okay. Um, I know what you're talking about. I'll have to look it up. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. 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 But they, he, he, that restaurant was voted, you know, um, the best in the world at one point, you know, so Chicago has a world-class scene for food and drink, but yeah, I mean, at its heart, Chicago's about neighborhoods. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't know if you saw it, but the, the city series for the MLB with the different uniforms, um, the, the White Sox had one that said Southside on it. And then the Cubs had one that said Wrigleyville. And the idea behind the Cubs one was that it, it was, representing all of Chicago's 77 neighborhoods and its diversity. 
Um, but that's the reality is there's 77 different neighborhoods in Chicago and they all have their own feel. They all have their own flavor, but mostly what they have is their own little corner spots. And that's the heart of the Chicago bar industry is the local corner spot where you go in from people, you know, with people from the neighborhood um, and have a, a shot and a beer and relax and, and talk and or commiserate or whatever you're doing. But yeah, there's the high end places as well. Um, and Chicago is becoming known for that in terms of mixology. But yeah, at its heart, it's still a shot and a beer place for sure. I think that's a perfect place to end this conversation, Jonathan, because you've really done a great job of showcasing the different kinds of experiences that you can have in Chicago. And I'll tell you, you know, everyone wants to go to Chicago now. I mean, you know, it is right up there with New York and L.A. as far as places that people want to be. If someone wants to come in and do your uh, Chicago Prohibition tour, how should they go about getting in touch with you, Jonathan? Well, so uh, the easiest way to do it is go to uh, prohibitiontours.com and they can get all the information on there. They can also, you know, through that, they can uh, contact us via our our Facebook page or Twitter or Instagram. And we have had people reaching out via all of those things, Um, but they're all right there on the website. Um, We are just now getting a full schedule back up in fact it's not even up yet um but should be within the next week of of tours because chicago is now officially 100 percent open which is what as a prohibition tour we needed to wait for because our tour is about the places i mean i can you know it, we we can walk around and i can tell you all kinds of stories about prohibition but to to really get at the heart of what we do you have to get in and see these spots and 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 get a feel for them and we just weren't able to do that until the places were 100% open. But now that they are, we'll have a full schedule up um, coming very soon. Um, and uh, people can sign up through the website and uh, come check us out. Jonathan Notek, Chicago Prohibition Tour. Thank you so much for being on Destination Eat Drink. Can't wait for my next trip to Chicago and having a shot in an old style with you, buddy. I I would love that. Please let us know when you're in town and and we will most definitely make that happen. Okay, there you go. I know I'm biased, but places don't come any more unpretentious than Chicago. I've got links to Jonathan's company, Chicago Prohibition Tours, and all the places we talked about in the show notes. Get that at radiomisfits.com slash DED149. I've also got a new post on my blog. I thought it would fit in nicely with today's conversation to talk about one of my favorite bars. So I posted a story about a great place that would fit in nicely in Chicago, even though it's completely on the other side of the world in New Zealand. Read about that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, we're in Bhutan. Yeah, the country high in the Himalayas. Don't miss that. It's a conversation you are not expecting. Trust me. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and the mayor of Rush Street, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I will see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. <laughs>